The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Um, listen, we are in the middle of just this incredible narrative, this incredible story in Matthew. And um, I, I mean this. I was thinking about this this week, but Matthew, preaching Matthew has been my favorite Advent season I've ever had. And, and I mean that. I really do. This book has just been fun for me, uh, at least. For me, at least. But I have so enjoyed it. It's been so rich and and... I've enjoyed the last several weeks just being able to sit in this book together. And um, if, if you look at it, it started with this genealogy, which basically proclaiming through this long list of names that Jesus came from real people, real space and time, real places, in exactly the way he said he would come. We, we see this in what what. Matthew is doing is, is identifying Jesus as the son of David, son of Abraham. And what I love is, is Matthew, right from the beginning, is connecting Jesus to all of the prophecies. Connecting him uh, to everything that was said about him that he would fulfill. That he would be the Messiah. The long-awaited one. And not only that, not only the son of Abraham and son of David that we see, but we, we also see in Matthew the son of God and the son of man. That, that Jesus came through this miraculous virgin birth that we talked about, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And what we see here is, is God, Jesus being fully God, fully man. Son of man, son of God, son of David, son of Abraham. This is who Jesus is. Just laying this out, this is Jesus. And I, last week, we looked at a short text here that identifies Jesus as Jesus, the one who saves. The one who came, as the text says, to save his people from their sin. Only Jesus can do that. We read in, in the text that this moment where the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and gives Joseph the name Jesus, meaning Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. This is what his name will be, and that's exactly what he came to do. This week, we get to look at another name, another name that Scripture gives us for Jesus. And um, I said that Matthew has been so much fun. This week in particular, I have had so much fun and gotten so distracted this week in prep for this. It's just been rich. And I had one of those aha moments where um, I just started kind of geeking out and, and I realized I was quote unquote wasting a lot of time just like sitting in it and forgetting I had to you know, preach this. But it's been one of those weeks. It's been, a, it's been a blast. And so if anything, this whole week was for me. All right. This whole week has been for me. But I love this text. We're going to look at two verses. Okay. We're going to look at two verses. This is Matthew 1. We're going to look at 22 and 23. And I want to read it for us. And then um, we can walk through it, okay? Verse 22 says this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, 
The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew says all of this took place. All of it. From the genealogy to Mary, the Virgin Mary, pregnant with Jesus, conceived by the Holy Spirit, to Mary, pregnant with Jesus, who would be born to save their people from sins, to Joseph, getting the word from the angel of the Lord, to don't be afraid, marry that girl. Don't be afraid. Marry her. Raise this child because this child's going to change everything. Matthew says all of that happened. All of that happened just as it was supposed to happen. Just as it was prophesied to happen. All of this took place, he says, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now, here for the first time um, in Matthew, we are given a direct quote from the Old Testament. This is not the first time Matthew has referenced the Old Testament. Obviously, the whole genealogy was rooted in that sucker. But this is the first time that Matthew quotes it directly. And he quotes it absolutely directly, as we're about to see. He's pointing us back to Isaiah 7:14, And um, again, quoting it exactly, I'll put it up here. It says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here's the quote. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, you can see quotes directly. Matthew here, here's the thing. Matthew has the Hebrew text, the Old Testament, embedded in his heart because he's been waiting on Isaiah 7. He's been waiting for this to have. Um, Isaiah wrote this 700 years about before Matthew. And so for 700 years, the people have been clinging to these prophecies. And here Matthew is connecting dots. He's connecting these dots between what was happening here in this moment and what the prophets said was going to happen. He's connecting the dots. And it's like Matthew is is pointing out the fact that there is a plan of God that's been unfolding throughout history. And here it is. And he's pointing to this. And I want to say up front, um, there is such a continuity and a unity between the Old and New Testament. I think it's easy to think, and I've heard this question, if you've asked it, I'm not picking on you. I have none of you in mind when I say what I'm about to say. Um, I've heard this question, though, asked, like, why do we read the Old Testament? If we got the new, why are we spending time in what's old? right? Why do we do this? We have the New Testament, so why not just, okay, here's the reality. The Old Testament prepares us for the new, gives us the ability to understand the depth of God's story all the more full. In other words, here's the thing. The reality is that this is one story, and and that the story of Jesus did not begin in Matthew 1. The story of Jesus begins at the beginning. And I pray that we're a people that, that are all about this and all of this and sit with this and all of this and that we see this plan unfolding. This is why any of our uh, Bible reading plans, most of them include the Old Testament too. We need it. I love the New Testament. I love the Old Testament. We need it. 
Matthew is pointing back with certainty back to Isaiah's words, knowing that he is witnessing them come true. Um, and this is quite a prophecy. It says, behold, the virgin shall bear, conceive and bear a son. Now, in the context of Isaiah, if you were to flip back and look at Isaiah 7, as you read Isaiah, it appears Isaiah is referencing a child that's being born in Isaiah's time. So as you look at this, you're like, what's going on? But here's the thing. As we see in Scripture and as we see in history, the fullness of this prophecy in Isaiah 7 is seen right here in Jesus. And, and Matthew, it's like right before Matthew's eyes, he's seeing Isaiah's words come to pass as the virgin conceives and would bear a son. And along with that, Isaiah and Matthew both give us this name. It says, behold, the virgin will conceive, bear a son, and you should call his name Emmanuel. Um, it's, and I love this. As I was reading, it just made me think that Matthew kind of knew that people like you and me would be reading this and not know Hebrew. So Matthew just pops in a definition for us. You don't even need to consult anything. Matthew just pops it in there and says, which means God with us. Isaiah didn't put that. Matthew did because he knew you would be reading it one day. God with us. This beautiful, powerful name meaning God with us. And I want to I point out just one one little note, and I'm not going to spend much time on this one, but you may have a Bible that has Emmanuel spelled with an E. We sang a song where Emmanuel was with an E, and um, maybe it's an E in your New Testament and an I in the Old Testament or vice versa, and you're thinking like, what on earth? Listen, here's the thing. Emmanuel, I, Emmanuel, E, same name. Same. Depending on if it comes from a translation from Greek or from Hebrew, sometimes it'll have a different first letter. That's it. That's the only difference. Same name like Kathy and Kathy. <laughs> Kathy with a K and Kathy with a C. Same name. Okay? It's very similar here. Um, and so I just wanted to clear that up as you're looking at your Bible. But this is where, church, I had this aha moment this week, so allow me to geek out for just a little bit. Matthew has given us two names so far for the, the, this child, Jesus. There's two verses where Matthew says, call his name, his name shall be. Two names already. We are given the name Jesus, and we're given the name Emmanuel. Jesus and Emmanuel. The way that Matthew presents these names, and follow me, man, this is cool. The way scripture is laid out for us with these two names, it is clear that Matthew is, is communicating that Jesus and Emmanuel are the same. Here's what I mean. I want to put them side by side on the screen for us. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Let's put that side by side to verse 23. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. There is a parallel. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Verse side by side in parallel. But it doesn't stop there because in Matthew 21, um, after you call his name Jesus, then Matthew generously gives us the definition for he will save 
his people from their sins. Remember, Jesus literally means God saves. Put that side by side to verse 23. After you call his name Emmanuel, Matthew does the same thing, gives us a definition and says, which means God with us. These two are like mirror images of each other in perfect parallel. Why does this matter? Two names, same structure, same Virgin Mary, same child. These are in parallel. Matthew is intentionally bringing these two names together. Jesus, God saves, is Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, the God who is with us, is the God who saves. These are brought together. God with us is our Savior. Our Savior is God with us. Spurgeon says it like this. He says, he is with us as God on purpose to save us. The incarnation of Jesus is our salvation. These names are intentionally brought together, smushed together, put side by side together with the same verbiage, brought together by Matthew here to show us that the God who saves is the God with us and the God with us is the God who saves. Jesus is Emmanuel, bringing them together. On one hand, if you think about this, on the one hand, God comes down, he's with us, but he doesn't do so to condemn us, does he? He could have. No, the God who came, came so that he could save us. That's on this hand. But on the other hand, um, God didn't just save us from up there and distant and removed and from afar. No, he saved us by being with us. God with us is the God who saves us. Emmanuel is Jesus. It reminds me of one of the, probably the most popular verses in all of the Bible. John 3.16. If you remember, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son or begotten son, whosoever believes in him is not going to perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. How many of us know, though, what happens after this verse? After this verse, listen to what Jesus says in this next verse. For God did not send his son into the world, Emmanuel, in order to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved, Jesus, through him. What is Jesus saying here? He is linking his coming, his with us, to his saving us. Jesus, Emmanuel, one name. He came to save us. God came to be with us, and he is the God who saves us. One name, and Matthew brings it together in a way that is just awe-inspiring to think about who our Jesus is. Um, I want to bring out one more, one more scripture here, and it's, it's in John. Um, if you think about the way John opens his gospel, um, John makes this statement, in the beginning was the word. And uh, in John's gospel, if you notice the W of word is capitalized, it's not just random. The, the reason it's capitalized is because the word is referring to a person. It's a title. It's Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word is Jesus, the Christ. So in the beginning was Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In other words, this is Jesus with God, meaning um, with the other members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the, Son, the Spirit, and God the Son, with God. 
and Jesus was God. So John is painting this picture. He says, this is Jesus. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. It's a tongue twister, but all it means is that this is the same Jesus, the Colossians 1, that says Jesus is the by him, through him, for him, and in him of all creation, right? This is Jesus. But if you, I say fast forward, it shows, you know, we watch too many shows here. But if you fast forward to verse 14 of John, it says this, and the word, same Jesus, same capital, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word here, Jesus, the one sent to save, is the one who came and became or put on flesh and dwelt among us, the incarnate word. Um, Eugene Peterson, in his commentary, phrases it in a way that is, for, is unforgettable. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I really like that. It, it makes it tangible, and it shows you what Jesus really did. Um, and we saw the glory with our own eyes, one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So we have here Jesus becoming flesh and blood, human, moving into the neighborhood, into human life. This is Emmanuel. And John will go on to remind us in verse 18, if you fast forward again, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, has, he has made him known. So no one can see God, yet God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, Jesus makes him known. How? By coming down to us. Paul says in Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God. This is who Jesus is. The God who saves is the God who came. To save, God came. God came to save. Bring those together. In church, Matthew's connecting these. Um, we have the son of man, the son of God, the son of, son of Abraham, the son of David. Now we have Jesus and we have Emmanuel. And, and Matthew's bringing these together to show us who Jesus is. And, and here's what I want to do with our time together in this verse, the rest of it, is to talk about what this should do for us and in us. What are, what are it should really cause us to do three things, and I want to bring this out. So in other words, we're going to spend the rest of our time with the question, what now? And I think I've said this every week so far. I'm going to say it again. Um, for many of us, we have heard the Christmas story before. We've seen the nativity scene before. We know, we've heard Jesus came to save. We see the, the scene in our front yards, and it might be easy for us to, to kind of hear this without listening to it. Or listen to it without hearing it. However, whichever one you think holds more weight, that one. To hear it but fail to take it in. And so church, um, I want to encourage us for all of us to push kind of the pause button so that we don't rush past this. And, and, and when we hear this big incredible truth that God came to be with us in order to save us, as we hear this, my question is what do we do, what now? And I want to put some things before us today. And I want to start with one that you may roll your eyes at me on. We're going to start with worship. 
The reason I say you may roll your eyes is you might see that and be like, well, Pastor, that's the most churchy thing you've ever said. Okay, here's the thing. I'm not talking about the churchy idea of worship. Don't think about singing here. Don't think about um, a particular genre of music here. When I say worship, here's what I mean. Worship is our right response to our God. When we behold who he is, all of his goodness and splendor, when we behold him, worship is our right response when we encounter God. It's the all, it's the gratitude, it's the surrender, it's the obedience, it's as we bend ourselves before him, both figurative and oftentimes, literally, this is worship. Now, I know when we stop and consider this, when we stop to consider the fact that God did not look down on us and, and, and say, well, look at the mess you got yourself into. Good luck with that. Good luck striving to get yourself out of that. Good luck trying to get, reach up to me. Good luck. No, church, God not only looked down, but came down. Not only saying good luck as you deal with all this mess, but stepping down and actually taking your mess on his shoulders on the cross. Not only saying, well, good luck trying to reach up to me, but stepping down when we consider that. Our only right response is worship. We worship because he came. We sang a song that briefly pointed to this this morning. We opened with it. Come we to welcome Emmanuel, king who came with no crown or throne. Helpless he lay, the invisible maker of Mary, now Mary's son. Oh, what wisdom to save us all. Shepherds, sages, before him fall. Grace and majesty, what humility. Come on bended knee. Adore him. Worship. Worship. Um, I came across a poem this week. And I'm not usually a poem kind of guy. If you are, that's awesome. I'm not usually one. But I found this, and it's just like, you know when you read something, and you're like, yeah, they said that better than I was, could even, like, it just hit me. This, this poem hit me. And so much so that um, I, I made Candace, you know, over breakfast, listen to it. This is the perks of being a pastor uh, or being married to a pastor. You get hit with things over breakfast before you wake up. But um, I had to share it. I love this poem. And this poem was written by this old Puritan preacher named Thomas Watson. It's a little lengthy. It's worth reading it, though, because here's the thing. As I read this, I want you to think about the way he connects Jesus, the one who saves, to the Emmanuel and our right response being worship. Listen to this. He says this. He was poor that he might make us rich. He was born of a virgin that we may be born of God. He took our flesh that he might give us his spirit. He lay in the manger that we may lie in paradise. He came down from heaven that he may bring us to heaven, that the ancient of days should be born, that he who thunders in the heavens should cry in the cradle, that he who rules the stars should nurse at the breast, that the a virgin should conceive, that Christ should be made of a woman and of that woman which he himself made. 
that the branch should bear the vine, that the mother should be younger than the child she bear, that the child in the womb bigger than the mother, that the human nature should not be God, yet one with God. Come and worship. Like that'll preach. So good. Jesus, the Emmanuel, come and worship. This is worship. So I want to ask you a weird question. What does worship look like in your life? How do you worship Jesus? Don't get churchy on me here, okay? Don't do it. How do you rightly respond to this? In Christmas, this Christmas, what does your worship look like? What does your family's worship look like? The truth is, is we can get very distracted very easily with all of the stuff and all of the festivities and the friends and family and presents and travel and details and life and boo, right? All of us feel that. Um, And it's possible to get through this whole season without ever stopping and thinking about our right response to Christ, our Emmanuel. I know that, again, worship seems churchy or outdated in our culture, but it's real because it's our right response to our God. What is your response to your God when you behold who he is, his goodness, his splendor, the fact that he came? What does worship look like in your life and how are you doing that? Um, I believe we uh, can also struggle to worship sometimes because we struggle to just pause and be still and to just stop and we get too busy to think about who he is and what he has done. And, and so this Christmas, as we celebrate Jesus, the Emmanuel, I want to encourage you to just pause and behold. Think about what he has done. I, I quoted Spurgeon earlier, but I stopped his quote short and I want to give you the second half, okay? I want to finish him up here. He says this, let us leave this wonderful passage Worshiping the Son of God, who condescended to be born the Son of Man, thus God became our brother, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. The nearer he comes to us, the more humbly let us adore him. The more true the kingship of our king, the more enthusiastically let us crown him Lord of all. Or as our man Thomas Watson said, come and worship. We worship because he came. But it's not only, only worship. I could stop there, but I'm not. Um, the second thing is this. Uh, there's also assurance in this. Here's what I mean when I say this. Uh, not only did Jesus come, not only did he step into human history, Emmanuel. Here's the thing. He stepped in. He came exactly the way he said he would. This blows my mind. So the Old Testament, the prophets, told us not only that he would come, but how he would come. And the crazy thing is that he came exactly the way he said he would come. The New Testament tells us that he came and how he came. And again, this is one story all together. Um, The gospel is all about faith, believing, trusting in Christ. But church... This is not some blind, untested faith. Our faith is rooted in the God who told us he would come and then came. Told us how he would come and then did it. 
Our faith is rooted in this. Isaiah tells us the virgin will conceive and bear a son. Then over 700 years later, Matthew tells us about the virgin who conceived and would bear a child. Assurance. Let me switch gears. Do you know what this is right here? Okay. Um, This is a picture of Babe Ruth. And uh, it's not a real photo because it's quite old. Um, However, there is a real photo. I want to put it up here. This is the original. A little grainy. Wee bit grainy here. This is a legendary moment for sports fans. And uh, this is the 1932 World Series. Yankees taking on the Cubs at Wrigley Field. And um, depending on who you read you'll get different accounts of this legendary event. All we know is it's legendary. What actually happened, we don't know. But here's the legend, okay? It's a nasty series. Tensions were high. And apparently here at Wrigley Field, fans had been heckling the Yankees. Apparently throwing lemons at Babe Ruth while he was in the outfield. I say that because this is why renditions like this one actually throw a lemon at the bottom of the screen. I didn't know. You learned something new. Um, But that's a lemon. Why? Because apparently they were being pegged by lemons, um, getting heckled. and, and, And so here's the thing. Legend has it that Babe Ruth, batting fourth, steps up to the plate and makes this odd gesture toward the outfield, literally calling his shot. Saying, hey, pitcher, before you throw this ball, I'm going to let you know what I'm going to do with it. I am going to crush it exactly where I'm pointing my little finger, right? So confident that I'm just going to tell you now I'm crushing it. I'm hitting a home run. And then legend has it. That's exactly what Babe Ruth did. On the third pitch, Ruth crushes a pitch to deep center left field. Now, did it actually happen like that? Yankee fans believe it did. Is it just folklore? Who knows? But here's the the thing. That's the stuff of legends. To literally call your shot. Who doesn't love that story? It's the kind of stuff that makes Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth, who even non-sports fans will know the name. But here's the thing. As crazy and legendary as that moment was, it was nothing to what we see here in our text. And here's why I thought of this. I want you to consider this. Jesus fulfilled over, I'm giving you the very bottom estimate number here. He fulfilled over 300 unique prophecies made about him. 300 times the Old Testament says something about Jesus and 300 times, again, at minimum, most scholars put that number higher, God speaks to the writers of the Old Testament, says that and how Jesus will come, and then they point to Jesus, and with 100% accuracy, even through the craziest things like a virgin birth, to weird things like being born in the small suburb of a small town of Bethlehem. Who predicts that mess? Like, that's crazy. To being a, a, a man from Nazareth, like, this is crazy. Again, though, 300 times, 100% true and accurate. 
So it'd be a better comparison if our man Babe Ruth called his home run over 300 times, never missing, always accurate, 100% so, 1,000 batting average. Only that wouldn't do it justice. Because that's feasible. What we see in Jesus is the absolute miracle and power of God doing what had never been done. Here's why I bring this up. That fact should give our faith such strength. That fact should give us so much assurance today. A commentator says it like this. He says, in these verses, Matthew provided the first of many direct quotes from the Old Testament and the first of many Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by the earthly life of Jesus. These Old Testament quotes and prophecies show, in part, the linkage and unity between the Old and the New Testaments, helping us understand how God was preparing the way for Christ from centuries past. They also validate the identity of Jesus as the promised Messiah, strengthening our faith in him. In their, per- listen to this, in their perfect fulfillment in Jesus gives us confidence that God is faithful and mighty to keep his word to us today. This is assurance. This is assurance in Christ because Jesus came exactly the way he said he would. So that when he says, listen, you will be saved and your sins will be forgiven and, and you will be with me for eternity. When God's word tells you that, you can trust and know that you will be saved, that you will be forgiven, and that you will be with him for eternity. When he says, I am coming again, we can trust and we can know that he's coming again. When he says, one day you're going to be with me, the kingdom's going to come, new heaven, new earth, no pain, no tears, no sickness, no struggle, no cancer, all gone. One day, when he says that, you can trust him and know that it is true. From the virgin birth to the death on the cross, resurrection and victory to his ascension to his return, we can have faith and assurance of knowing that our faith is on solid ground. We worship him because he came. We have assurance because he came. Lastly, I want to highlight one more, and that is peace. Church, your Savior, Emmanuel, is with you, not distant from you, near to you, with you, present with you. It's as the angels sing with the shepherds after Jesus is, is born in Luke 2, God, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Because God is with us, we have peace. Peace with God, peace today, and peace forever. We have peace because he came. Now, here's another fear that I have. Worship's a churchy word, right? So is peace. You can get real churchy with this word. And I want to take that churchiness out here because think about it like this. If there are any words that sum up the modern life, Throw out a few. Stress, anxiety, fear, busyness, being stretched, overscheduled, overreached. Because I'm a proud nerd, I'm going to quote Bilbo Baggins, who says, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. It's a good one. That about sums it up. For all the nerds, you're welcome. Um, 
But this is the modern life. There's no peace in that. It's like we are chronically living our lives peaceless. So what I'm saying here this morning, and what scripture is telling us is really powerful. It's telling us that no matter what we face in this life, what we go through, we can have peace and walk in peace, the peace of God that is in Jesus, because Jesus is Emmanuel, Jesus is with us. There are so many texts that I could pull out to say, see, but I had to pull out one because it's, so, it's such a common text when we think about prayer specifically. But I want to pull out this, this text in Philippians 4. And I want you to listen to it in light of Emmanuel, God with us. Listen to this. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Love that line, by the way. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand, meaning near, close, with us. The Lord is Emmanuel. The Lord is at hand. So verse 6, what now? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And hear this, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus came, because he is near, church, we have peace. Shalom. Today and forever. We have a peace that surpasses all understanding in Jesus in and through all the things we will face in this life. The life of peace is in Jesus today and forever. Why? Because Jesus came. Emmanuel. So we respond in worship we walk in assurance. We have peace. Why? Because he came, God with us, Emmanuel. Listen, no matter who you are this morning, no matter what brings you into this place, your background, no matter, the invitation for you this morning is to come to know Jesus, to trust him, and to know that he is with you always. Jesus, your Savior, is Emmanuel. This Christmas, you need to know this. Matthew is telling you this. It's not just me. Jesus is Emmanuel. Because that's true, who on earth, what on earth do you have to fear? For that matter, not just on earth, what anywhere do you have to fear? And so to close this morning, um, listen, I want to give us three scriptures and a prayer. <laughs> Sounds like a country song as I said that, but I did not mean to sound like that. Okay, so three scriptures in a prayer as we close. And, and here's the thing. As I read these scriptures, the reason I want to close this way is because after all that we have talked about, all that we have considered together, I want these scriptures to fill our minds as we apply this and as we walk out of this place. Scripture number one is Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. 
Lastly, Joshua 1, verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with you.